Hello, welcome everybody to episode two of ABL Down on the Farm, where we talk about everything prospects, but especially prospects in the ABL, the Armchair Baseball League featuring 30 dynasty teams uh, named after the actual Major League Baseball teams with 20 spots on each team for prospects, which is a glorious 600 prospects and gives us a lot of uh, prospects to talk about and think about and add and drop. And we're very fortunate tonight to uh, be joined by one of the other ABL owners. Uh, it's John, who owns the Detroit Tigers. We'll get him on in just a second. I'm, of course, the owner of the Baltimore Orioles, um, although I am wearing my Cardinals gear tonight because it is the second day of the baseball season, and I am at heart a Cardinals fan. Um, and there are a lot of us in the ABL, um, and we'll probably have a Cardinals fan talk at some point in the season. But without further ado, uh, let me bring in John, our esteemed guest. There you are, John. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. Good to be here, Steve. No, great, great. So, you know, I, I wanted to have a chat with you this evening because you were in an interesting position uh, last year uh, during the season. You made the decision to kind of play for next year or play for future years, right? You dumped some players um, fairly early in the season, I guess. And we'll get into tonight, uh, you know, what made you think about that and make that decision and what your strategy was, I think, in terms of restocking the farm um, and really trying to build for the future. And I know you weren't exclusively you know, focused on the farm. You want to rebuild your major league team too, right? But um, I'm sure some prospects were involved. Um, but you know, before I'd like to get into that, I, I just generally was hoping to get a little bit of background on you in terms of your interest in Dynasty, uh, maybe you know what you like about Dynasty Leagues, how many you might be in, um, and then specifically kind of what you like about the APL and what makes it a little bit different. Yeah. Um, so I've been playing dynasty since I think my first one was back in like 2008, 2009. And, um, that was, so I, I didn't realize it, but I think I was kind of diving into the deep end pretty quick. It was a 30 teamer with it's called, so really weirdly it's called armchair. Um, oh. I'm still in it. It's on this uh, pro FSL message boardy network thing. And um, so it was a 30 teamer and every like every team got all of the players and minor leaguers from that team. And so it ended up being like 150 minor leaguers, uh, like the full roster, just massively deep. And I was awful at it for probably five <laughs> or six years. It was like, it yeah. I mean, it's a hell of a learning curve. And um and so that was that came in handy for for this league um just you know because it's, it's just a totally different world than most fantasy baseball um playing in such a big unwieldy beast yeah that does sound that does sound really intense actually and uh as a particularly as a first foray into dynasty um so you don't you don't lack for courage i guess good, good for you <laughs> i had lots of high draft picks for lots of years <laughs> there you go there you go so you're used to restocking the farm in some ways yeah exactly um, yeah. you're a pro at it now um so like you know you you were involved with abl from the start right you were in the initial draft okay so um what's been your experience in abl compared to other leagues and you know what you know tracks you to it or makes it fun for you yeah i you know i think it's been really it's been really fun because um there was a just a ton of kind of chatter and activity level from the beginning and there was a uh I think an uncommonly high level of skill from the beginning. And we had a few. We had a few folks in that first draft. Any thirty teamers going to have a few who sort of like 
didn't get the assignment or whatever. <laughs> and, and right. One, one person, and they're no longer with us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, like one person, I think, ended up with like, I don't know, like three massive superstars and then nobody else. And everybody it was kind of like, Ugh, all right, well, hopefully they stick around and they didn't. And but like for the most part, especially for such a huge league, um, we like I think it's a really, really impressive uh, skill level, and then also just kind of a cool. Like I can't keep, I can't keep up on the Discord. It, there's so much happening, which is awesome. Uh, it's super rare, uh, and so yeah. I mean, um, like in an either embarrassing or scary number of dynasty leagues, probably somewhere between. I'm guessing it's like 13 or 14 at this point, um, and like this is if I had to, if you said like, hey, look. I have a I have a, a bucket of a million dollars and I'll give it to you if you whittle it down to all but one league. It'd probably be this league, the one. Yeah, league. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is a special league because of the you know kind of the dynamic nature of it. Just the, not only the level of talent and being a thirty team league, but also I find just you know there there is such a social component to it, and you can kind of pick and choose your, the level of your own engagement. Yeah. Um, and people come and go, but uh, and also the trading. It's just an insane amount of training in this league, right? I mean, well, and like, you know, it's interesting because it's come in waves, right? So that first wave was pretty good. It was really solid. But then we had this like restocking of of GMs or or owners or whatever. And I think you were maybe in that next wave, right? Yeah. And I, so I ended up like kind of going way all in thinking, being a little overconfident in the first year because I was like, I'll be able to rebuild this thing. I'll I'll compete in year two. They'll see. And yep. And then y'all were all so strong. I was like, oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe not so much. Maybe we're going to have to actually rebuild a little bit. Maybe, I've, you know, y'all you, you took, took like a, an already really high-level league and, and put it like way through the roof. So, uh, to, Yeah, I think, I think we've been able to level up for the most part, which is yeah. good. It's what you want to do, um, you know, in terms of the competition. But I also think uh, – Last year was interesting because several teams decided to punt early, um, particularly for a 30-teamer. And given the format of the league where so many teams can make playoffs and make money in a consolation bracket, um, you know, it's an interesting strategic decision. We'll get into yours. Um, but, uh, you know, I do think it, it allows people to be engaged throughout the year. Um, and there's a strong interest in just making deals. Um, which is just really incredible. Um, and I, you and I made some deals because when you were going all in, I, I kind of pillaged your farm system <laughs> to, yeah. to send you major league players. Um, so that Yuri uh, Perez deal is still like I know uh, <laughs> it haunts you, right? And uh, that's how was, that's how it always is. It, it always haunts you later on, right? I mean, I, I so I've been like had this idea for like two years now that I'm gonna do like a a retrospective, like a, a dumbass retrospective of all my dumbest moves and. I, I I will do it at some point because like I had M- I got MJ Melendez in uh-huh. the very last round of the initial draft I think, and I I cut him for like <laughs> Connor Scott or oh, somebody yeah. like some like barely actually a player I, yeah so there's I like I, I was starting to look at it the other day and like God yeah I uh, I could be really really good <laughs> yeah no you know we all have those those players that haunt us mine is jackson churio who i drafted in all my dynasty leagues early when he was 16 years old and then he had kind of a so-so dsl campaign 
Oh, and, you know, I, I cut him for other people that I like better for whatever reason. And now, of course, he's like blown up. Right. And so I'm, so now people like won't trade him to me. You know, this is the guy that I drafted when he was 16 years old. <laughs> and like now, now I have to chase him. Um, but yeah, we all, we all have those, you know, those war stories. Um, cool. So good. So, you know, we have, we have a lot to cover tonight. Um, before we get to it, there's one kind of interesting thing I read that, I, you know, I thought I'd share with you and see if you had any thoughts on it as well, which is. There's a really interesting article in Baseball America recently about how in the Southern League, they're experimenting with uh, easy grip baseballs. And the article was about whether or not that was going to skew prospect evaluations uh, for pitchers mm-hmm. and for hitters, right? Mm-hmm. Because there are certain pitchers that have high spin rates. And if you give them easy grip baseballs, con- conceptually, it's going to enhance their ability to spin. Mm-hmm. Right. And so are we going to get kind of false positives in terms of these pitchers? If we see a real bump in their K rate, right. Or their command ratios, um, is it real or is it not? Um, and conversely, you know, hitters who are now facing kind of a doctored ball mm-hmm. in that league, is it going to impact them? Um, and it just also reminded me of an article in baseball HQ that I read um, towards the beginning of the um, pre-draft season about how much this experimenting in minor league baseball um, is affecting our ability to evaluate prospects. And I'm wondering, do you you think about any of those things? Or because I certainly don't off the top of my head, think about that kind of stuff. And then you read it and you're like, Oh, (laughs) that makes sense. You know? Yeah. I, I, I find it interesting. I find prospect evaluation to be something that I have almost no skill for. So I just have to like, no pun intended, farm it out. Like I, like the the no the stick baseball, what it was like a sticky baseball or something like that. Yes. Well, the, the, the easy grip apparently. I'm not sure exactly how it works, but I think the seams are raised in a way that makes it easier for them to hold on. Because my understanding is that what they're trying to do with the stickiness is they're mm-hmm. trying to get a better grip on the seams. Okay. Um, and so you sometimes hear pitchers talk about ball. They like balls that are a little harder and have elevated seams. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you, you know, it, most of us, when we bought baseballs over the years as kids, we'll notice that some of them have flat seams and some of them have raised. Mm-hmm. And apparently, I'm no pitcher, <laughs> but apparently the raised seams are better. I don't know. Um, but it's interesting. Yeah. You, I mean, you could definitely, you can grip it. Like you can, I remember I wasn't very good, but like, I remember getting a noticeable difference in movement and it just felt more secure. Like it felt more confident. Um, whereas like when I like the smoother, slicker balls. Um, yeah, it just it, like it kind of it kind of at least for me it kind of messed with my head a little bit too, because um, you kind of you feel like you're at a disadvantage. I feel like from like an evaluation perspective, it might end up just contributing even more to like a fog of war situation where like there's just all these variables and yep, you know MLB has such a like a really stellar track record with transparency around the ball. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I have a hunch that they probably won't exactly like tell everybody when they're using <laughs> different balls so how do you how do you even account from that like yeah maybe it's and maybe it's just noise right i mean you know maybe yeah. it ultimately doesn't mean anything right so um no you mentioned like you're you, you know you don't you don't find your skills in evaluating prospects to particularly strong so how do you how do you go about doing it uh, in all these dynasty leagues that you're in what's your process generally speaking for navigating the prospect world so i i don't find my like it's like math. I'm terrible at math, but I enjoy it. Um, so I, <laughs> so like, I, I, I enjoy 
it, I enjoy listening to podcasts about prospects. I enjoy reading a little bit about podcasts. I, I love the hell out of lists about podcasts, uh, or excuse me, lists about prospects. <laughs> um, but like, I, so I don't like from, in terms of like watching somebody, I feel like I'm almost like, I, I bring too much of like playing, like playing memory into it mm-hmm. to where I find some people who maybe have been able to establish a little bit more distance um like intellectual distance to it are better at it so like i i just i have a really hard time with the eyeball test and so what um what i'll typically do is there's a few different kind of sources that i try to use and so i come up with a a, like a weighted composite app a weighted composite score for every player and i try to update that when the lists update it can be tricky but i try to Mm -hmm. um with the idea that like and for me it's i don't know maybe it's not smart or whatever to share this but it's not like I mean, we all probably use some variation of the same list. So like for me, it's the ones that I weight the heaviest are RotoWire and mm-hmm. um, RotoWire uh, was a Prospects Live and um, and ba- uh, Baseball Prospectus. And then uh-huh. I really um, I really value anybody who has eyes on folks and it seems like they know what they're doing. And so um, the Welsh, his prospect one, I don't think he's. I don't find him to be quite as reliable, but like, but I, I include like a dash of the Welsh in there just because he also yeah. had hit on people pretty early. So like, um, that's typically what I'll do. And, and I, that to me is fun. I don't have to lay eyes on anybody until they get to the major leagues. Um, it just, uh, and that usually allows me to identify folks faster than not faster than everybody. Like, I think like you and Duke and a couple other folks tend to uh, beat me to the punch on folks, but it, it allows me to stay ahead of like maybe 60 70% of most leagues. And that's generally like good enough uh, to, yeah. to sort of stay in, in, in like a competitive area. I mean, look, I don't think there's any wrong or right answer to as long as it's effective for you, right? And so mm-hmm. um, it sounds in some sense, if you get like a weighted crowdsourcing um, mm-hmm. to your process using, you know, people that you have found to be useful you know resources and that's you know functionally what i do as well i just i don't use lists but i use like resources that i trust and i basically you know look at the scouting grades that i get out of them and then i look at the numbers and you know i've been quite transparent of what i use right so it's like i'm not hiding the ball i mean you can basically look at what i do um you know with this with the secret sauce to the extent there is any uh, comes in is just in how you marry all those ingredients together to make your decision. Um, and th- you know, that's proprietary, if you will. I don't know. I mean, but, um, yeah. you know, um, but that's interesting. That's interesting. I think that, I think that it, it illustrates kind of one of the fun things about dynasty leagues is that there are just a lot of ways to be successful and, um, you know, with prospects because they're so young and so volatile, um, you know, you really can't have one correct method. There could be some bad ways to do it, I guess, <laughs> but, but uh, there are a lot of good ways. So let's jump into um, some of the topics we're going to cover tonight. Um, like I said, I did want to cover your, your rebuild and your strategy behind that um, and how you feel it went. And we'll talk a little bit about your farm system as it exists now, um, or at least from the handbook as it existed in February. We can also look at your roster to see you know, moves you might have made. Um, I did want to talk about what I've dubbed your your problem child prospects, uh, and you've got three kind of varieties of them, and I'm interested to hear um, your decision-making and holding on to them, because I think a lot of owners would have cut them, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. Um, and then finally, uh, at, at the wrap-up of the show, your crushes and fades, um, and uh, we'll also talk about some of the prospects you have, because you have quite a few that made the ABL handbook uh, top 100. 
Um, so I'm interested in hearing about that. Um, so let's, you know, let's start by talking about, you know, your big rebuild and restocking the farm system. Um, so like walk me through it. Like what was your thinking in terms of making the decision to cut bait with 2022 and, you know, what were your thoughts in terms of your initial strategy and then how you felt you executed it? And I suppose there's in-season execution and then there's like, you know, the fall leading into draft season. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, so heading into last season, I felt like, I think I said a couple times that like um, heading into the auction, I felt like I had to like thread a needle and absolutely nail that if I wanted to be able to like do any kind of postseason damage. Um, and I felt like I was going to probably be, otherwise I was going to be a bubble team. Sorry, we've got a, a beastly thunderstorm. I don't know if you hear that, but it's... I do hear it. It's pretty impressive, and I'm sure my children are, like, losing their minds right now. So, apologies. Now, if, if you have to take a break, that's okay. I'll, yeah, if I hear screaming, I'll... If you yeah. see me go running out of the room, I have to console somebody. That's what's going on. Yeah, so, no, no worries. Um, so, like, I thought that I was probably going to be a bubble team unless I just absolutely aced the, the auction thought I did okay, but heading into the season, I didn't have a ton of confidence. And then the first few weeks kind of bore that out. Uh, I felt like I was prob like I might have been able to like squeak into the playoffs, but probably not do anything. Um, and then I saw uh, then I saw Harry sell pretty early. And yeah, that Harry, the White Sox owner, yeah, and he, yeah, he really sold. He did, and he um, he was. I found him to be like the most. And I mean this in a very like in a very positive way. The most annoying owner, to, the most annoying team to play against in that first season, because um, we both had really competitive teams. And he, I mean, he like every single time we played, it was really close, and we were um, we, we were kind of neck and neck all through for like the central with I think the Twins as well. And so like when he did that, I thought, shit, Harry's really good, and. If Harry, like, I can't let, I don't think I'm going to make any noise this year. I can't let Harry corner the market on, like, future assets. I mean, it turns out he still kind of did. But, um, but well, like. because the, the selling continued. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's where, that's where our pads kind of deviated, right? Like, I felt like I needed, I, I felt like it was important, in the, at least in this league, to maintain kind of a baseline of major league talent. Um but like I don't know his. I know there were a lot of like a lot of frustration or, or whatever around sort of how he went about doing it. But I don't know it. Like I I would say I don't love it, but I also didn't think of it. And that's you know what I mean. Like it, it was yeah. strategically, it's it's pretty savvy. And I think he handled the the like kind of blowback around that really like kind of gracefully. And so yeah, I mean, for, for those who aren't in the ABL, right, who might be watching this, there, there, there's Harry really tanked his team. Uh, <laughs> not only so he basically sold every major league asset he had and he stockpiled picks, high picks. And then and then actually, even after the draft this year, sold some of his major league talent to get more talent in the minor league. So now he has the number one ranked system in the ABL handbook. Uh, and uh, for good reason. I don't think anybody disputes that it is the strongest minor league team. Um, but you, you raised an interesting point, John, right? You're, you're, the way this league is structured, um, we have divisions. Mm -hmm. And you have to live with the fact that Harry's in your division, that the White Sox are there, right? Because you're competing against them. And you have to start thinking about your ability to compete and win division titles, which obviously affects seeding in the playoffs, mm -hmm. right? 
Um, and, and whether yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say and the Royals and the Guardians. Uh, yeah, and, you, have tough, you have a tough division. There's I mean, some like, good owners in that division. Yeah, there are no like like turds in this division. It's it like that was part of what drove me to sell early was I was like, like the, if I can't if I can't compete now, then I could do myself to sort of like upper mediocrity for the next two or three years if I'm not decisive, especially with Harry doing what Harry did. So like I and I in retrospect, I actually feel really good about that decision um, just because I. And there's no way I was going to be competitive in any any real way last year. So it's it, it and honestly, like rebuilding is fun. I, I play I play in a, in a couple OOTP leagues. I used to play in a ton of OOTP leagues, and I used to do this thing where I would like rebuild and then win a championship, and then give up the team and rebuild and win a championship because uh-huh. like it's not because I'm like good or whatever, but because like that is like I, I kind of feel like that's one of the funnest things you can do in in almost any kind of fantasy or simulation thing. Um, so yeah, and Dynasty is like the, one of the few formats that really lets you do it effectively. You know, yeah. um, sometimes you could do it in keeper leagues too. I mean, I've, I've seen that happen, and you know, I'm in the process in one of my keeper leagues, uh, having won a couple championships, now rebuilding the team, and so you know, I've just started to hit the ground running again this year. So uh, it, it can, it's, it's much more fun to do it in Dynasty, I think. Um, For sure. <laughs> so, what was your strategy in terms of like you know what you were targeting to get? Uh, that summer in the trades that you made what, what you know what parts of do you think went well is there anything you were disappointed about yeah i think um so generally speaking across the board in, in keeper and dynasty leagues i'm going to target hitters just because of the the level of variance like the relative variance compared to mm-hmm. um, compared to pitchers the tricky thing though with this league is that like the value in an effective starting pitcher at the major league level is mm-hmm. so great that I really felt like, um, like in this league, one of the lessons I learned in the first year or two was that I needed to modify that strategy a little bit, just because the the reward is so much more than in most leagues. Like in a sixteen or twenty team dynasty or keeper league, you really, I think, you really should like have only like maybe double A AA or triple A pitching prospects. Uh-huh, um, interesting, but like in. Unless you unless you have one of those just beastly farm systems where you can just kind of screw around with with you know high risk high reward, but in this in this league, um, I, I actually I, I I've gone a little bit more pitching heavy in the minors than I typically ever would, but I still I've tried to like mitigate that by only grabbing onto players um, kind of in the mid to upper minors. When I when I sent Yuri Perez to you, I thought, well, I've got him. Like I was really lucky because I I was I just listened to the right podcast at the right time, and like like grabbed him in like just about every league I had. So I thought, well, I've got a ton of him, right. and he's so stinking young that and there's still so much variance that sure Tony Gonsolin he's established. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> why why wouldn't he be a wonderful return? Uh, and so like, that was part of, that was part of the thinking for that deal where I would, where, you know, the, the age of Yuri at that time really played mm-hmm. into it, if that makes sense. Oh, uh, and he's still quite young. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's still a baby, uh, relative to the the lovelies, you know, and he's going to probably start the season, I guess, in triple A, um, yeah. uh, which is phenomenal for, you know, a guy his age, but, mm-hmm. um, it's interesting, you, you know, you echo the points of, I think, a lot of owners, um, not only in this league, but in other leagues that, you know, we're in of being kind of risk averse to pitching. 
um, because of their higher variance rate. Um, I tend to be very welcoming of risk. So I have a lot. Oh, it's impressive. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, I mean, it, it backfired on you too. I mean, I, you know, I traded up in our draft to get uh, Lesko, uh, who's recovering from Tommy John and he's a prep pitcher, you know, and so there's risk there, you know, mm-hmm. but um, I'm willing to accept that risk. But I think you represent majority view, uh, which maybe is right of like really kind of being resistant. Um, now you can miss out on guys. And interestingly, one of the guys you drafted this year was Sasana. Yeah. It was a deviation for you, right? And we can talk about him too. Who I love. I love I love Sasana. I have him in a lot of leagues. He was just, I mean, he doesn't match the profile that I'm looking for, but I just couldn't believe the upside was there at that point. Like at that point, yeah. I felt like it, it like I couldn't I couldn't not. Um yeah, you got him in the early second round uh, of the prospect yeah. draft, um, which is which is very nice. So were there any specific prospects you wanted to target given your preference for hitters mm-hmm. that you were able to acquire as part of the rebuild? Yeah, I mean, like anybody, I'm I'm going to be looking for some floor protection in a in a 30 teamer, and so uh, going after like Pete Crow Armstrong and, and even like uh, Fought, like I felt like, I mean, Fought back then wasn't what he is now. Like it's not like I knew this was going to be Brandon Fought, but like, but he did like everything that I was kind of seeing and hearing about him indicated that. He was probably there would be a very small chance that he was ever going to be anything less than a number four starter, and so right. in this league, there's a lot of value in that. And then, the, and then there was also this kind of like early talk about you know he's he's crushing this really difficult league, so it could be a fluke, but it could be an indication. And now you know we see it. So like I, that was more thought was less about the upside and more about the what I what it sounded to me like uh, a relatively safe gamble. And the funny thing about the Yuri Perez deal is it. it you know, it was like Yuri Perez to Tony Gonsolin, then Tony Gonsolin to like some combination of folks that ended up with Fott. So like it eventually ended up being like Yuri for Fott, which is. Which you can know, live with. Yeah, I'll, I'll <laughs> that over Yuri for Gonsolin or like Matt McLean, which is like the third iteration of that or something like that. So like, yeah. so it was, you know, it was like Pete Crow Armstrong. And I think um, who else did I end up getting? Did you get James Wood uh, in yeah. that rebuild? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. he, I mean, like, he was ascending, but he wasn't anything close to what he is now. So, mm-hmm. to a certain degree, it was, some of that was just luck. And that was actually, I think, the James Wood thing was where, so there's this interesting thing with people like the Welsh, who I don't think, like, I don't know that the Welsh has exactly, like, the same, like, technical savvy that a lot of the other prospectors, like James Anderson and folks like that do. But he does, like, he is very diligent about getting eyes on people. And he's mm-hmm. not afraid to trumpet the hell out of somebody if he sees them. And if I remember correctly, he was going hard on James Wood. And I thought, well, I mean, like, sure. <laughs> Why not? Like, everybody else is, is pretty high on him. And then it, you've got this one person who's, like, whose hair is on fire. Yeah, sure, maybe. Um, and, yeah. and that ended up working out in a deal with, I think, Jeff. But, like, mm-hmm. yeah, so <laughs> a lot of that was just where people are on lists and how they're trending on lists. And uh sure with the idea that you know there's also going to be some landed necks in there yep yep you know. so let's let's take a look at your like your your farm system and how it like uh you know it played out in the in the real world um and so we'll share the uh this is uh from the prospects you know a handbook uh that i put together and not that this is like immutable or anything <laughs> um but you can see you're highlighted there you ended up uh with one of the few 100 scores for your prospects that you netted um, and this is after the draft Right. So it includes the guys like Sasana that you were able to nab. Um, 
And, uh, you know, were you, were you surprised by where you landed on this in any way? Yeah, but I think most people probably are, unless you're in the number one spot, you're probably surprised, right? So like, I, I don't, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't, well, maybe number two, I think everybody, I don't think anybody thinks that they're going to dethrone Harry in this regard for a, a year or two. But um, I would say I probably have like the number two or number three system, um, just mm -hmm. based on my evaluations. But I mean, you know, there's just a very obvious bias there. Like, I think, I think there's probably like 15 of us who feel like we have the number two or number three system. Um, well, that, and that, you know what? You want owners who feel that way. You want a conviction in like, you know, their, their process. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's great. I mean, um, and you know, the, the other thing I would say about this, this is certainly not gospel. Um, this is just what I came up with. But, um, you know, these are actually pretty close, right, between, you know, basically four and six. Um, and they could very easily move. Um, so, you know, the difference between 102 and 109 actually isn't that great. Um, you know, it's, one, it's probably one player or two players that, that could switch those around pretty quickly. Um, you know, Harry's just like, you know, as you pointed out, just like running away with the thing. And I think everybody just accepts that as being reality for now. And, and um, Duke having like that farm system with that team no it's 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 illegal i, mean, I just <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's, 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 filthy. it's absurd uh, yeah no i mean I, I was joking with duke was on the last episode and i was i was joking that you know he's this is only his fourth year doing dynasty or something and he somehow has a juggernaut major league team and a juggernaut minor league system so People probably need to be a little bit careful trading with him. <laughs> he stayed, yeah, he stayed disciplined with a couple of us, and especially me in that first season didn't. Like, there's there's a, at least one or two people, definitely including me, who could be in better positions if we were more disciplined. Because um, I think Duke and I were were kind of neck and neck for a lot of that first season, and then I went hog wild uh, and and gave up a ton of prospect depth, and he didn't. He he did yep. a fantastic job of being really. I mean, like he took a couple of shots, a couple of measured shots, but nothing. You know, he didn't he didn't go too far. And so that's I mean, it, it's interesting. The 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 role that discipline plays, discipline plays in a league like this is, is really kind of surprising. Or maybe not surprising. It shouldn't be surprising. But I think it's it's really, really important because there's always going to be um, a point where you kind of get the fuckets and you think like, yeah, I'm going to no, yeah. let's do it. Let's just go. It's going to yeah. be fun. It's more fun. Let's go. And he's done a fantastic job of just kind of like sticking to the plan and staying kind of between the ditches, so to speak. So, yep, yeah. Yeah. But I think, you know, interesting his even his approach on prospects is a bit like that. You know, uh, he's, he's got a lower risk tolerance um, and maybe that's a good thing. Right. Because he's, he's going to, you know, play it a little bit safer uh, and go with more blue chip stocks, so to speak. Um, and you know, that's where he is. And I think you're right that he, you know, didn't go hog wild in terms of trading away players, at least not in this, in this league. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, that we saw, um, and certainly some owners just seem to you know, churn their rosters and trades right in this league. Um, and you know, a lot of their players end up on the, you know, the, the teams that win divisions. Uh, so, you know, kudos to Jeff, uh, to, uh, Duke, excuse me for assembling this juggernaut that he's uh, put together and it made us suffer all through, but fortunately you and I are in the American league. So there's yeah. still a path. To, there's still a path to the World Series. So yeah, we don't have to deal uh, with Duke and Jeff over there. Nope. Nope. And they're, yeah, they're the same division. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so let's take a look at the uh, just the top 100 list because I think it's interesting. You know, after you were able to make all these trades, you ended up with actually several players that made this top 100 list, and they could be anywhere on other top 100 lists too. There's nothing 
magical. I mean, I've got Curtis Mead and, and James Wood at 33 and 34. They could be much higher on somebody's list, um, but I think they're on just about every list um, that you see. Um, and you end up with six. I mean, you've got a whole bunch here, including some of the guys we were talking about, right? There's Crow Armstrong, we already saw uh, Wood. And another guy we haven't really talked about is Fat, you have, uh, who now in, in, in this league is very close, and there's Susana. But Fat's a guy in this league who has extreme value right now because he's on the cusp of making it to the majors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he he profiles as a guy that could be a number two or number three starter, right? Um, and you get him for a buck. Right? Yeah, so, well, and I think yeah, yeah, and he was he was who yeah who Yuri eventually turned into for me. I got I, it. Yeah, sorry, I was I was pronouncing. It. I, I, is it fat? I hope it's fat. I would like it to be fat. I, I think it, it is, but I, that's how I'm going to pronounce it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so on today's show, it's fat. It sounds great. It's much better though. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he, yeah, he's really, he's really a sub guy. Some, he's somebody I've had in a bunch of different leagues and I've traded him away and now I have zero shares, I think of him, but, um, oh. yeah. So, uh, you know, you live and learn, but maybe that's my Yuri, right. Um, <laughs> tra- trading away, but, uh, you know, I've got plenty of Yuri shares as a result, so I'm all right. Um, but yeah, so, it's, so you, are you pleased with the way things netted out for you? Are you happy with the rebuild so far? Yeah, I, I am. I, I feel like, um, as far as like my decisions in this league, the first year, I, I think like towards the end, I, I would, I would redo a lot of my decisions um, as far as like going too far. But then the second year, um, I, I mean, like there's always going to be a few things here or there, like with, with prospects, no one's ever, like you're never going to hit hundred percent. But at this point I feel pretty good about everybody that I was able to, to pull in and that, um, and that restocking. Uh, so yeah. And especially like, it was interesting. I almost felt bad for the teams that, sold at a more traditional time last year mm-hmm. it seemed like the market just kind of fell apart a little bit uh as far as contenders yeah well i think a lot of the assets and this is brings up an interesting dynasty league strategy question right particularly this is not a roto league so it's head to head and you know you're competing throughout the year and there is this consolation bracket that you can make money in right um and there's pretty good money even in the winner's bracket you know, if you get eliminated, like, you know, a couple of games in, um, we have this division money. So there's a lot of ways to like, you know, get back your, your buy-in. Um, but it does highlight this interesting question, even in that format where there's so much on the table, even, you know, during the season about when to sell, right? right. Because if you do it early and we saw teams like the Rockies, uh, the White Sox, you, um, and then maybe a couple others sold basically like in May, June, that's when the selling started, right? Um, and that's when you oftentimes you get the most bang for your buck, right? Because, you know, other owners who are buying have good prospects still. They haven't sold them, right? Uh, and the guys who waited to the more traditional deadline had less attractive options, right? And on top of that, you've also got the salary cap, right? Mm-hmm. Um, bearing down on you. So, if you know, if I go out and acquire Max Scherzer from Harry, which is the guy I acquired from him, um, you know, that's, you know, a $40 contract or so, mm-hmm. uh, and now I'm up against the cap. And so I can't make a trade with you or somebody else, you know, down the road, um, you know, for a marquee player. Right. Um, and I don't remember, but did you make a lot of trades later in the season? I thought you did most of your work pretty early on. I tried, but yeah. that's kind of, that's part of what made me feel bad for everybody who waited to sell because like I, I had some decent assets and I got pennies on the dollar for them. Like I, I, 
I kind of worked the the Discord phone, so to speak, and and yep. had very little had very little luck. Um, where and some of them I even waited. I felt like, well, let me just like let this like let 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 me let Aaron Savali improve in value for a little while, and didn't happen because I figured he was kind of a safe bet to hold his value. And I don't, I don't think I got very much for him and for several other people that were traded basically anytime after July. Yeah. Uh, so it's, uh, you also, I think the complication, sorry to interrupt, but you have the complication of there being winners or perceived winners and losers at that point, right. In terms of the teams that had restocked themselves. So it had a dampening effect, I think on other owners being willing to buy more in. Right. Um, you know, they're full, they're kind of folding at that point. Um, you know, maybe on the river, I mean, you know, they're like, you know, the, you know, the, they've gotten past the, uh, the turn. I mean, they've gotten past the flop and they get to the turn and they're like, eh, you know, I'm not going to wait for that river card. Um, so it's an interesting dynamic, I think in this league. Um, Do you think it'll be the same this year? It's a really good question. I think obviously they've, the executive committee who, you know, mm-hmm. governs our, our rulemaking, uh, uh, they've made some changes to incentivize owners not to sell um, by penalizing them if they do sell and come short of certain milestones in terms of points scored. And um, I think that will be some something of a deterrent, although I think Harry is a good example of he just doesn't care. <laughs> He's like, you want, you, you want to like cap my salary cap and I'll, you know, when I'm tanking? That's fine. Uh, and they'll, make, they'll have to make more adjustments, right? Um, and you know, maybe having that bravado is the way to do it. Uh, so I think we're going to see Harry do more of that, although I, I do question how much room he has on his roster for more studs. Uh, you, you only have 20 minor league slots, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Um, but, you know, it's, it's also interesting. I think some of the way some of the teams are set up um, right now, I think a lot of the selling has actually happened before the season has started. Yeah. Like, you know, um, you know, teams like the Rangers and, my, and the Marlins are pretty, like, thin on the major league level. Um, and so we'll see selling at some point. I just I would be surprised. Maybe I'll be wrong. I'd be mm-hmm. surprised if it's that early this year. I- um I'm actually I'm not I don't I'm not in love with my roster right now. I think like it has I think it's better than it was heading into last season, and I think it has mm-hmm. the potential to be very good. But I still need some things to break my way. So I've been thinking about like at what point, you know? Right. When do you pull the trigger again? Yeah. Right. But like, I, I mean, I don't know if I don't know if the market has any juice in it anymore at all. Like before the season's almost. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I mean, it's interesting because my perspective um, and my strategy right now is I'm pretty happy with my team and I think I can win the division I'm in. Um, It's always going to be a challenge and you don't, you know, you don't know what's going to happen, but I think, you know, you see other teams having kind of already loaded up like the guardians are very loaded right now. Um, And it, it, it already serves as a disincentive to me to, you know, really, you know, sell prospects. Um, you know, if I could be competitive and get into the playoffs with the roster I have, why should I sell, you know, two or three stud prospects for a couple of veterans that are going to maybe lose a closer matchup with the Guardians in the playoffs? I mean, so, you know, I don't know. I mean, we'll see how the season goes. There are always injuries. I think last year um, when these teams started selling, yeah. um, I got very aggressive and started buying because I felt like my division was very winnable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had no intentions of competing last year going in, um, cause I was a new owner and I, you know, I didn't have a lot of good keepers in terms of my contracts, you know, I'm a major league roster, but when I saw people punting and opening up, particularly teams in the American league mm-hmm. selling, um, 
I was like, well, I'm going to buy because I can win the division and I can get in the playoffs and maybe make some noise. Um, and, you know, that ended up being at least partially true. You know, um, I got I got to end up getting eliminated in the first round when Scherzer missed the playoff series um, because he's brittle. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I think this year I'm going to be a little bit more cautious. But, but many other people won't. I think, it, you know, as you pointed out earlier in the podcast, I think you always get this, like, you know, urge to, like, say, go for it, right? And you're going to, like, you know, you know, make tough decisions. Um, so let's talk about, um, you know, I think what I've been deeming your, your, your problem child prospects, uh, and, that, and that's my name and not yours. Uh, but, you know, you've got you know, three guys on your roster um, that are really interesting to me. Um, and, and the first one is, is Wilman Diaz, uh, who is a prospect that I really liked in his draft year. Um, and he's in the Dodgers organization, which does a terrific job um, grooming prospects, bringing them along, and also identifying prospects from, you know, Latin America and the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, he's obviously been very kind of disappointing so far um, in his, num you know, his performance at the DHL and uh, DSL, excuse me, and elsewhere. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, what's, what's made you hold on to him? Um, why haven't you cut bait? Because um, I've seen a lot of owners do that, um, mm -hmm. just, you know, cut him outright. Yeah, it's. I mean, for really all three of the the problem child, who, the the folks who I'm guessing are the pro problem children, um, I, they all have this like flicker of promise mm -hmm. that, um, you know, if if there's a prospect available that I think outweighs that, then I'm I'd be willing to make the move. But I just haven't found anybody that, um, like, I've always had somebody else I could cut. Um, yeah. And so, like Wilman Diaz, Wilman Diaz is funny because, like, I remember you—you you were really into him at the same time I was into him and took him. And I, a few months ago, I remember thinking, like, oh shit, let's see if let's see if Steve is still into Wilman Diaz. <laughs> and I think I offered it. To, I think I like sent you an offer or something like that, and you're like, no. <laughs> yeah, well, I think unfortunately, you know, the, the hard thing about him now is it's like, you know, what are you going to give for him? Yeah, like you know, right? I mean, it's like it, you know. It, basically the, the level of value you can confer is you're you're the lowest guy you're willing to cut mm -hmm. right who incrementally improves your roster somehow right <laughs> over, over the value of holding woman diaz um and and you know that that's something that certainly i would entertain mm -hmm. um given his potential upside but you know these prospects that have like kind of fallen flat at least temporarily and i think it is important to remember that these guys can take off Right. Um, you never there are very young. I mean, he's you know, he's still a kid. He's 19 years old. Who, who knows? Right. And um, he's he he's, a new, he's in a new country. He's I mean, like there's so yeah. this dynamic, yeah. these things that like it does. I can't cite any right now, but it does. I have this like anecdotal memory of several prospects who started here, collapsed. And then a few years later, like after they got their bearings or their body developed or they got used to their body after it developed or whatever. Yeah. And so yeah, like, they grow into it, you know, or they, or they get the confidence or they, they're, or you know, there's some kind of, you know, mechanical change in, in their approach. They get good coaching uh, yeah. and things just click for them. Um, and sometimes they're, you know, modest adjustments. It's interesting. I was watching a, this is not like directly, you know, apropos of what you're saying, but it's similar. I was watching a documentary on um, the, 51 base season where the Giants beat the Dodgers on the Bobby Thompson home run. And uh, one of the anecdotes, which was a famous anecdote uh, they were telling was about Willie Mays, who were called up that year. He's a rookie. Uh, he's 20 years old. He gets called up to the majors. 
and he starts his career abysmally. He was hitting 043, like, you know, like deep, deep into the beginning of the season. Uh, and Leo DeRocher put his arm around him and said, you know, you're my center fielder. Like, you know, you're going to play every day. Mm-hmm. And from that moment on, he started turning around. Um, and, you know, he's Willie Mays, <laughs> you know, but uh, their, their confidence is a factor, um, you know, with a guy like Diaz. You know, so I don't know. Maybe he's going to end up being a good ball player, but it's really hard to trade for him right now. Um, and you, you're in an interesting position because the the cost to you is just the roster spot, yep. right? So you can hold him and see what happens. Um, you know, and maybe he'll take off, right? Yep. Um, then you, the other problem child that I wanted to talk to you about was uh, Christian Robinson. Mm. And so, like, if, if Wilman Diaz is the ugly. Right. Um, you know, in, in the Clint Eastwood movie, Christian Robinson is the bad. Right. Right. And we'll get to the good in a minute. But like, what, what's the story with Christian? Robinson? Obviously, he had a ton of off the field issues. Yep. Right. And, um, you know, he's another guy that I've seen sold, you know, low or cut in some leagues. And I'm curious your thoughts there. Maybe the same, you yep. know. Yeah, yeah. I think if he's if he's the bad, he's also probably the expensive because he's like $13 or something like that. Yeah. So. The likelihood that I mean, it, at this point, it is a real, a pretty slim likelihood that he becomes worth that. Um, the thing that's been, and again, like I've been close to to cutting him a couple times, but the thing that I keep coming back to is like he's had all these off the field issues. There's all these sort of testimonials to him not being a Khalil Watson kind of character, where it's like, you know, where there there are kind of seemingly deep uh character issues that are yeah. going to lead to probably stifling that talent with robinson it sounds like from what i gather he made mistakes but that were like a, a significant kind of aberration for him um I, and so there's a part of me that thinks like well yeah he has these legal issues but they are they i think are not um i I don't take those as an indication of him like as a uh i don't know like a character of his character of, of the likelihood that that'll impact so and then there's this other thing where like he was a massive prospect right like he oh, was, yeah. he was and it wasn't just like a um like a quick ifa thing like he was he was showing it for a little while there so the talent has to still be there mm-hmm. um so like the fact that the talent must be somewhere in there and it's not like he's not playing baseball at all he's just not playing in the way that we would like i wouldn't be stunned if all of a sudden he got you know he got some good news and it's like a royce lewis situation where everybody kind of gets real sad about him for a long time and then holy shit there's right. royce lewis, and oh my gosh he's the number one prospect on a couple lists and then yeah that again but like i think I wouldn't be at all surprised if that happened with Robinson. I wouldn't say it's a super high likelihood. I would put it at like somewhere between five and 10%. But for the the roster spot to have the possibility of um, sort of an outlandish talent relatively quickly and $13 is a lot, but like it's also if he hits in the way that it's like, I think there's a five to 10% chance of him hitting then it's worth it. Um, having said that, like, watch me cut him in the next month. I don't know. Well, yeah, I, mean, I was going to say, like, you, you raised an interesting point about the economics of our league, which is, you know, we've got a 260 budget going into the draft and it gets raised to, you know, 360 in season. 
But that draft constraint makes it hard to hold a guy like Robinson because if he gets called up, mm-hmm. you know, you know, that's thirteen dollars against your cap going into next season, right? Um, and that's a pretty substantial commitment to a young prospect, um, particularly if his cup of coffee is very brief the prior year. Uh, you know, and uh, if you get like a full view of him mm-hmm. that prior year, you, it makes the decision a little bit easier. But oftentimes, if they just get up for like you know ten at bats or something, you're like, what do I do with this guy? Um, oh. But Having said all that, if he turns around and he hits in the minors, he also suddenly becomes a guy you might be able to trade. Absolutely. Right. Right. And you know, um, there are plenty of owners in this league who are not deterred by high, you know, prices on prospects. Um, you know, I think I think the highest contract I have for a prospect is five bucks for Nick Gonzalez. Um, and uh I, I loathe taking that on to begin with, but uh I, I did it because he's a you know a guy who could play second base and, and hit for power. Um, so it's pretty unusual. Um that's interesting. So the, the other problem child is what I would call the good and the good, the bad and the ugly. Right. And um, I, I think he's a problem child only because he's like not available, which is uh, Sagana, um, you know, who is even the major leagues. And I guess you somehow got grandfathered in, in on this ability to draft him because we yeah. typically can't sign or draft players that um, aren't actually in the major league system. So mm-hmm. how did that work out? Because I, I wasn't in the league when, when you got him. I'm curious how that came about. And then why are you holding on to him? It may be a very similar answer to the ones you just gave, but I'm just curious because he's, he's no spring chicken either. No, he's not. I mean, it's basically a lottery ticket, lottery ticket situation for me. Um, he, well, there's a little, there's that. And there's, so like the way it happened was, if I remember correctly, it was during the inaugural draft. And um, he... I think maybe we just, I don't know if we just didn't have like a rule on that yet. And I think mm-hmm. the idea, maybe the, if I remember correctly, the idea was like, well, let's not like penalize me because I did a thing that we just we didn't have a rule for. I, I could be mistaken. Right. About that. I think that's basically how it played out. And now when I see him, I think, well, you know, if, if he does eventually make his way over here, then I could have, like, it sounds like from a talent perspective, he'd probably be, uh, uh, probably like a number four starter, which in this league is way more valuable than it than it, in, in almost any other league. And oh, so there's sure. that, and then there's also this weird. Um, it almost like I don't really I don't collect baseball cards anymore, but like I know that there are like error cards or whatever uh-huh. that have like a, a peculiar value because they're these like weird one off things, not by virtue of anything cool about them, other than they're just weird one off things. So it does kind of feel like. A, like almost like a collector's item at this point. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You've got a vintage picture. Yeah, exactly. Like I've got this, like, this is the one time when we could do this. And and for some reason that matters to me for some reason. Yeah, you're, you're like, it's like one of those ball players that still got to wear 42 after they retired it. Right. I mean, it's like, you're like Mo Vaughn, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, or Mariano Rivera, if you, if you will, whatever your preference is. Um, that's funny. Um, yeah, we'll see if he ever comes stateside, but he's 33 years old now, right? And so um, you might have like a number four starter for a couple of years. Uh, and, and to your point, that has value in this league because it's so yeah. deep. Um, and I just like paid $4 in fab for Hunter Gaddis, who uh, I think is pitching tonight. And he got lit up like a Christmas tree last year um, when I yeah. you know, got called up. And um, I chose not to start him this evening because <laughs> like, we have you know we have a starts per week limit. Um, so I'm banking the start, but I plan to start him as the next one. Um, even if it gets lit up tonight. <laughs> so, I, saw you, I saw you got him. You got him like a day before I thought about getting him, which is not an unfamiliar feeling at this point. Uh, well, you know, I wasn't the only bidder. I mean, there was a, I bid four and there was a three and there was a two and there was a one. So, uh, you know, people were in on him, but, um, 
Yeah. You know, we have a limited budget too for bidding. I'm down to 30 bucks for the rest of the year. Um, oh, wow. started having started having started with 50. So, um, you know, pick your poison. So 100 Gaddis might be my poison. You'll be the, the hemlock for my fad budget. Um, but that's all right. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. Um, so listen, why don't we talk a little bit, because uh, I'm interested, um, and this is always fascinating to me to hear people's crushes and fades on prospects. Crushes being the guys you really love and fades being the one maybe you're against consensus on. And it doesn't have to necessarily be limited to your guys in ABL. I mean, you're in so many dynasty leagues. Maybe there's somebody you have a lot of shares of elsewhere that you don't have in ABL for one reason or another. Yeah. I um, And I think like for this league, because of the, the format of this league, I think there are some prospects that are particularly valuable that I really wish I had. Um, Miguel Vargas, there, I have like a, an emotional thing around him because in the, in the first prospect draft, um, I had traded up. You know, because like you trade up sometimes, sometimes you trade up like on the pick, but then sometimes you trade up within like a pick or two with mm -hmm. the idea that like they'll probably be there. And uh, and I did that. And I think I traded up like three picks early and everything was going great. And then I got sniped one pick ahead. Oh, yeah, oh, uh, that hurts. It that does. hurts. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it did. And, I, and so like, and I think I picked like Greg Jones or somebody like that with my previous pick. Um, you know what I mean? So like I. I totally should have gone this route, of course. So, and I think like his profile, his um, like his hitter profile is probably really, really valuable. In yeah. this league. Hey, say hello yeah. to my wife. Hello. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, Miguel. Do you have Miguel Vargas or who? No, I don't, and not in this league. I, I actually, I can look up who has him. I don't know who has him in this league. Um, okay. off, off the top of my head, anyway, but. Um, yeah, he's terrific. I, I think you're right that in this league, um, he provides a really interesting value because of his on-base ability. Um, I mean, he's not just a good hitter in the minor leagues, but he actually can take some walks. Uh, and because we play in a points league, you know, that has value. Um, and, you know, he's going to play in the Dodgers system and that great lineup. Um, and he's going to have a lot of versatility too, right? I mean, he's got to be able to play, you know, middle infield probably at this point. Um, and, um I think he's going to play some first base. Um, and obviously he, he's capable of playing third base, right? So yeah. um, to have that sort of versatility is, is like pretty cool. Um, so any, any other guys you uh, think about in terms of crushes and fades? Yeah, there are. There are. And, and one more thing on Vargas, I'm pretty sure yeah. I traded for him in that first year, like for those mm -hmm. sentimental reasons, and then dealt him in that whole like – uh, that aggressive that aggressive move you were making yeah 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 there's that, like, um, thing there there's i mean there's some prospects like like jordan lawler and, and manzardo that i'm that i'm into in just about every league but like for this league just because of uh, the value like the ovp value and sort of high floor value um mm -hmm. players like like self relic and connor norby i think are probably gold here um and like like Josh Young, Josh Young just oh. to some degree, uh, Osvaldo uh, Peraza, um, like and Evan Carter. Golly, I I tried to get Evan Carter a bunch of times and haven't had any success. Like those, yeah, those he looks he looks really good, uh, really good. Um, another guy that I've I've held and traded away. I have no shares of Evan Carter anymore. Uh, <laughs> so it's like it just, but you know, it goes to the point. Like you you know you, you, there, you can get on guys early. Right. And then they start getting caught in terms of prospect list. Then you like trade them for something. Right. And then it turns out, you know, you, you and the talent, you, the evaluators who were relying on were right. They're, they're mm -hmm. studs. 
Uh, and it hurts. Like Ellie Daly Cruz is another guy that I was on early and it dealt away everywhere. Um, you know, um, so yeah, so I, I feel the pain. Uh, I, I feel the Vargas pain. Um, <laughs> so are there, are there guys that you're, you're fading versus consensus guys, maybe you're out on that other people still like, or, you know, um, ones you just hate on for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. Like as far as consensus goes, there's, um, this guy Edwin Arroyo, who middle of last year started getting a whole bunch of steam, and I don't know why, but like I just never, I had a really hard time with his profile, and and maybe like how far away he was relative to what his strengths were supposed to be. That like mm-hmm. it, it, I just never, I have him almost nowhere. I think I have him in like one league, and I, I'm sure you know I could totally be wrong about that, but just something about something about him. Um, maybe I just got this idea in my head and it stuck, but. I've had a really hard time getting on board with him. And then w- probably the biggest for me is Quinn Priester. Uh-huh. I've, I've never gotten the Quinn Priester thing. And I still see him taken really high or valued pretty greatly. Um, so like I, I just it's kind of it's kind of baffled me this whole time. And I think now on most lists he's he's collapsed a good bit. Um, so I feel a little bit vindicated there, but this whole time I've just been like, what the hell is everybody on about Quinn Priester? Yeah. Uh, I felt that way about Jeter, uh, Jeter downs. Um, really? Oh, nice. yeah, who, I, who I never, I never got the hype on. Um, you know, I was way below consensus on him. Um, I mean, this guy would have rostered if he was, you know, available where I valued him, but he never was. Because people mm-hmm. were just like really, really high on the guy. Um, but I just, you know, I looked at his, batted ball profile where it was age wise and i just i just never understood it and the scouting grades that i was reading on were pretty you know vanilla i would i would call mm-hmm. them not terrible but vanilla and quinn priest was a guy i think kind of is similar to that for me um, i've never been a quinn priest guy either i don't own him anywhere mm-hmm. um and he's always gone much higher in drafts um and in trade discussions than i would care to like contemplate um which is which is interesting um there's yeah I, I would hate to say this is a fade because i'm gonna look like an idiot i'm sure like probably this week but like jordan walker there's the swing and miss uh-huh. has me I, I i absolutely see him as top 10 i just don't know that i see him as like i'm not sure he's top five and i that that, far, that puts me just that small difference puts me way outside of consensus but the thing I keep hearing from like from a few different folks is just like he's probably going to be great, but also I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up really, really struggling for a few years um, with with the contact issues. And that I it's mean, like that, that whole time. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so just, I, you know, go ahead. I'm done. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> no, no, that's all right. Don't be sorry. Uh, it's a talk show. <laughs> we're, we're talking. Um, you know, it's interesting. So Jordan Walker is a guy. Uh, I'm not. I'm a Cardinals fan, so I obviously you know love the upside and love the idea of him being you know a star. Um, he's a guy that uh, I was very hesitant to take in drafts that first year he came out um, because of the contact issues. Um, he's got a ton of power. I mean, the power is just you know through the roof. Um, and you know you're still seeing that right now at the major league level. And I think it's important to remember how young he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he's a big dude and mm-hmm. these big guys have long levers and they are strikeout prone. Um, and it'll be very interesting to see how he adjusts um, and how quickly it takes him. Cause I think there is going to be for him a period of struggle. Yeah. Um, I don't know how long that period is going to be. Um, 
but what he has done at various levels is kind of climb the learning curve with some alacrity. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, he basically, you know, leapfrog triple A, right, mm -hmm. to go right to the majors. Um, that's a lot, mm -hmm. uh, you know, for, for a guy of his makeup to do. Um, mm -hmm. It's not like, you know, a guy with a 60 hit tool or an 80 hit tool. Like, you know, it's not Wander Franco, right, who has had his own struggle staying healthy. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, those guys who have great hit tools, you know, tend to be able to weather the major league pitching a little bit more easily. Uh, and guys who have great power but poor hit tools, um, they, they, there can be some lumps in the road. And I think Jordan's going to face that. But I don't know that that takes him – or I don't know where that puts him on the list. And, and I say that as somebody who – I don't even believe in lists really. So, I mean, you know, but I take your point. I mean, people are building him up as, as if he's Babe Ruth right now, right? And, you know, maybe he's just a good ball player. You know, it seems like the range know. of outcomes this year is like anywhere between Joe Adele and Julio Rodriguez. Like I, yeah, I, I could see either this year. You just yeah, this year. yeah, that's that's right. I mean, I think in what's interesting is I, I'm in three NFBC leagues this mm -hmm. year, and um, I, I saw him go in drafts. This is before he made the team. Okay, so there's mm -hmm. still a doubt whether he's going to be in the majors, and you know the NFBC format you don't have any minor league slots and you don't have any IL slots. And like, so every roster spot is like gold. Mm -hmm. uh, and these guys in these drafts who are a lot of people who, who deem themselves to be experts, right? Mm -hmm. They're paying double digits in the draft form in auctions. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a lot uh, for a kid who hasn't had an at bat in the majors and has the profile that he has, you know, to commit to a dude. And particularly when he hadn't made, any at the team yet and there was some question whether he was going to or not you know um so people really love him and i agree that the upside's there maybe we're spoiled by julio rodriguez right and we see a guy like that take off and you know we think he's the next guy um but that just seemed irrational as much as i love jordan that seemed irrational to me to pay that much money for him um he was he was basically off my board yeah you know you know if he got for a dollar i might have taken him but like you know that wasn't happening i yeah go ahead oh, sir. I was going to no, say, no, like, saying NFBC that, like, uh, I, I've played in NFBC for the last few years, but I live in Michigan, so this year we can't because of the ah. licensing issue, which yep. I've been emailing like four times this spring. Like, is it fixed? Yeah, is it fixed yet? Can I get it in on your guillotines yet? And no social. No. Like, no. Yeah, um, it's an interesting format. Um, it's my first year doing it. Um, oh, really? So, okay. Yeah, so I, I, I'm I'm doing two leagues with a friend of mine who I'm in a bunch of dynasty leagues with and keeper leagues with. Um, and then one of them I'm doing solo. Um, so we'll see how we do. But uh, it, it was a lot of fun. I, I went to one of the live auctions in New York. And, um, really? That was fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. nice. Okay, that would be a lot nice. of fun. Yeah, um, that was an interesting experience. Um, okay. You know, and, and the, the league that I'm in, the defending champion is in um you know of the of the live auction you know format so he won 30k last year uh who was it, it? Who was it? uh his, his name steve something i don't remember his last name i could look it up he's, he's in my league but um okay it was interesting to see him draft um i came back from that that's the league i'm doing solo okay. i came back from that draft and i had one more draft uh the same level of buy-in uh, with my co-owner and i said you know I've, I've seen the defending champion and we can win this 
was <laughs> like, you know, let's do it. <laughs> um, so we have a high risk roster we drafted in that one. Um, right. It's a lot of upside, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. My my other live draft auction is kind of down the middle in terms of risk. Um, so, but it's fun. So you're missing it this year. I am, yeah. Especially like I, every year, I usually play just uh, like one or two OCs, and then. Um, and then my favorite format of all, like maybe even just a smidge more than um, more than Dynasty and Keeper, is guillotine. I just, uh-huh. just love that. Like, and, and NFBC does a great job with their guillotines, and they and I, I find them to be like really winnable. If you're, you just have to be like halfway disciplined because people just kind of freak out about getting getting chopped, and so like you can you can kind of hoard resources and, and hammer at the end most of the time, and it's and it's just a really fun. I don't know. I, I find it to be, and it, it doesn't require like the same time investment as a lot of other leagues do. So you can kind of roll over one of those in the background, one or two of those. Yeah, I, right. I, I don't know. I, I hope they get that stuff fixed because, yeah, I miss it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully it gets fixed by next year. Presumably it will be. Um, but you can come to New York and do a draft with me. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, that was a lot of fun. Uh, so maybe we'll do Vegas next year. I don't know. We'll see. Um, you know. Well, listen, I'll, I'll let you get back to your wife and to your kids um, so you don't get uh, forced to sleep on the couch tonight or anything. I don't want to you know, cause any discord um, or disruption in your life. Uh, but I really appreciate you coming on the show. It was a lot of fun uh, listening to you uh, talk about your rebuild and your, and your prospects and hearing your perspective, I think, just on Dynasty in general. Um, I think we can all learn from that, uh, given how, how expert you are now after that initial buy-in league that you did with all those prospects, which is incredible um but yeah great to have you on happy to have you on again sometime down the road maybe we can revisit how your um, strategy is working out for this year and whether you decide to sell again um that'd be interesting um but i will not trade you your repairs <laughs> so, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Uh, no no you're you're staying right in baltimore this year um but hey, uh that just uh, i just want to say thanks so much for the invitation i've had a i've had a blast chatting about this league and also like not to sound like a kiss ass but just Thanks, Duke, for running this thing and creating it. It's um, I think it's a rare thing to have a league like this um, sort of successful and and well run. And uh, yeah, so heads up. Yeah, no, definitely, and that's why I called Duke the Godfather on the on the last episode, and I and I meant it. Uh, we, we know all, all praise to Duke. Um, we're very lucky to have this league. Um, all right, well, listen, John, it was great to have you on. And uh, the folks who watch the podcast, thanks for watching. Don't forget to subscribe um, so we have more subscribers. And uh, remember to uh, ABP, always be prospecting. All right. Good night.